Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, folks, anybody that's been listening to this uh, podcast for any length of time has heard me talk about uh, communication in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I'm going to just kind of lay the stage here for my guest um, and why I wanted to have him on, 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 the, on the show with us today. The purpose of any communication from my perspective and just kind of the way that I've, you know, or, you know, seen it happen unfold over over 70 plus years is you know, to produce a result. I mean, that's why we communicate with anybody is to produce a result. Now, those results can vary, obviously, very widely. Um, in an organization, a lot of communications, the result is problem solving or the delivery of a specific product or service or an answer to get information to create relationship. All of these are classes of results. And with that in mind, the purpose of communication being to produce a result, the purpose of leadership is interesting as well, because the purpose of leadership is to produce a result. And how we go about doing that makes a big difference. And those two pieces, uh, communication and leadership, all have the same thing in common, the production of a result. And as a leader, your, yeah, your effectiveness as a leader is fundamentally linked to how effective you are as a communicator. And the key here, or at least one of the magic pieces that I play with a lot in my coaching work with clients, is when we start looking at communication, I want to steer people away from um, linguistic wordsmithing and actually look mm. at what's the meaning that's being generated. Because meaning is, is what people organize behavior around. And the purpose mm. of communication in one sense... Uh, or not the purpose of it, but the, the definition of it, it's the ways, plural, the ways we work out common meaning with one another. And the words are only a small part of that, folks. It's a really small part of that. And the, uh, the guest that I have today, uh, Marshall Davis Jones, is the founder of an organization called Mahdi, or no, Mahdi. <laughs> I'm combining two words here, Mind, Body, Speak, and he's the author of the best-selling book, uh, Tonal Influence. Uh, he's doing work all over the globe uh, with some companies that you are very, very familiar with. And the invitation that I wanted to uh, tend, you know, tender to him, as well as bringing him uh, to you, is let's have a conversation about communication. Conversation about conversation. So, and I can't think of a better person to actually have this conversation with. You know, I think the only one that I would probably put on a par with him is uh, Virginia Satir. Uh, <laughs> but she's not with us any longer. <laughs> and she's the one that I cribbed that definition from, the ways that we work out common meaning. So Marshall Davis Jones. Marshall, welcome to the show. Man, appreciate you for bringing me here. Appreciate you hey, for bringing me here, Blaine. My absolute pleasure. Um, when we think about the soul of business, and I'm just going to kind of open the door with this one, um, mm. keeping uh, people in an organization connected to that esprit, that spirit, that soul that actually brings life to the organization. When you hear the term, the soul of business, what does that evoke? What does that bring up for you? You know, I like the word soul. Uh, I have a friend of mine. We, um, we wanted to do, or we're, we're doing something called the Alma experiment. And that's 
soul in Spanish, I believe. Yeah, it is. And uh, alma, you know, like the word, I, what I like about the word and sometimes what I like translations of words is that sometimes in the sound you can get a different meaning. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to think, what's the alma? A business. And you think about words like calm, right? Um, or, you know, we go to a school, you have your alma mater, which is, you know, mater means mother, like almost like the mother soul, if you will. Yeah. Um, but the soul of business is what is that nucleus, that center, that calm that everyone is north starred toward when things are going awry? Because it's always fun and games when year over year we're like rocking. It's always great when things look amazing. But what happens when the challenges come? Yeah. Because that center, that calm is what's going to help you make the best decisions, to help you maintain the dignity of those decisions, even when sometimes those decisions are to let people go. Because yeah. uh, it doesn't always mean that everybody stays. But there is a, if you can have people leave somewhere and leave with dignity, I think that's what comes to mind to me. So the alma, the calm and dignified communications in existence at the center yeah. of your business. I mean, that, you know, the whole notion of equanimity, you know, if I look at it mm. through the lens of a Buddhistic philosophy, uh, mm. that, that center, you know, that, that calming center, you know, where, where's the foundation that I stand on when everything around me is, yeah, going upside down and topsy-turvy. You know, mm -hmm. that, that you, you, you referenced, not directly, but in, implicitly here, the tonality of Alma is different mm -hmm. than, you know, the English word soul. Uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's something in the tonality. And I mean, in the research that I've done, Sanskrit, mm -hmm. which is what some of the original uh, Buddhistic texts, the Upanishads, and, and we go back in, in Hindu uh, language, um, Sanskrit is a tonality language. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's you know, contrasted to Germanic languages or even Romance languages. Mm -hmm. the, but the, the, the words have an evocative vibration to them that mm -hmm. conveys in the tonality the meaning of the word. Mm -hmm. That we, 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 I think we miss in the language, you know, particularly with English, when we're using mm -hmm. English as a, as a as a medium by which we try to transact business, you know, whether it's in a That's family right. or in a business. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, your book, The Tonal Influence, talk a little bit, if you would, about how this came to be, number one, from an interest of yours, but also mm. how you apply it in terms of keeping people connected to that, that, that's, that calm place, that center. Hmm. So I began as a competitive poet, uh, you know, and so it began in the spirit of competition and me wanting to be better than my competition. And so, you know, a friend of mine, he gets on stage and he has his voice and he wins his, his slam. And I'm like, what is this? Because you don't sound like that. I don't remember you sounding like that. And he said that I, uh, I'm in acting school and the very first thing that they teach is voice because the voice is life. So what started off as a comp the competitive desire also sent me down this rabbit hole of chasing the voice's life. 
as a germ in my mind. Like, what does that even mean? So I started studying all sorts of wild things about how the human body develops. So like embryology and dentistry and prenatal development, postnatal development, blah, 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 early childhood development, all of these things. And then the physicality of that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm learning stuff. I'm getting smart. But there was this um, school in Palo Alto that was having a rash of suicides. And they invited me to come up to do like a poetry uh, like course workshop to see if I can pull some words out of the kids. I had to go there on Monday and I get an email Sunday that a student jumped on Saturday night. Uh, uh. So, you know, no one really wants to hear anything on Monday about like how when you brought up the linguistic wordsmithing at the top, I was like, yeah, man, like... There's no poetry today. There's no, you know, great words. And um, I was like, I'm going to have to listen like really well right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found this book called The Ear and the Voice on Google Play, downloaded it, read it on the plane ride up. And it just changed the perspective of the other side of it. I was a speaker. As a competitor, it's like I have words to say. My words need to beat your words for the love of the audience and everything else. But then the listening part is the other side of it. And what is that? And what is it really? And leaning into that for that day, you know, spending time in the classroom with one of the students who had just lost her friend and everyone else, just listening. And so it just shifted the perspective of what I was doing. It took me out Mm -hmm. of a competitive mind to a cooperative mind. And Mm -hmm. that led me down a different path so I wanted to contribute what I was learning about the power of the speaking voice, but also the power of the listening voice and being able to bring that to as many people as possible. So law enforcement, protections agencies, et cetera, et cetera, testing it in dangerous places, putting myself in weird positions like going to bars, breaking up fights. These kinds of things were important to me because I didn't want to just be the guy that could talk well. I wanted yeah. communication to be valuable when, you know, it could be the matter of somebody getting hurt or not, and then moving all the way through. I love that. I love that. The, you know, the listening piece, I I think in my experience, uh, is something that I've never met actually a coach that uh, pays, has their client pay attention to the listening. Mm. And one of the things that, um, when I'm working with leaders that I'll play with a lot here is uh, how do you shape the listening of the audience to be able to hear your message, whatever it might be? How do you shape the listening? Implicit in that is I have to listen before I can shape the listening. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's actually being uh, requested uh, mm-hmm. on the part of the listener so that they can actually hear what it is that I'm uh wanting to, you know, transmit, if you will. Um, yeah, the the idea of mind-body speak, there's, there's mm. a, a, a gestalt in that, the kind of a holo, holographic you know, component to this. One part mm. represents all of it. Can, can you talk a little bit about the work you do with the leaders that you interact with around that marriage of mind and body? As it as it comes together in the communication, and not necessarily just the talking that mm. uh, 
takes place, but the the whole package that gets delivered as a message. Mm-hmm. You know, lucky for me, there is a rising desire to look at um, embodied cognition, which is like this new field of psychology where they're recognizing that it's not just your brain doing stuff, but that the body is a part of it. So yeah. things like if you hold a cold cup of water versus a warm cup and ask somebody to rate personality, they're more likely to rate the person warmer if they're holding a warm cup than you know, if they're holding something cold and that's just like a funny little like, huh, that's interesting. Or people feel heavier when they feel guilty, like literally feel like they weigh heavier, you know? And so you're like, okay, the body is playing a part in what we're cognizing or recognizing. So what I train people to do is I train in the order with which we learn. I train people to get in contact with their bodies and their senses before words, because tone happens, we're able to interpret tone about two to four months out of the womb. But the very Mm -hmm. first thing that we're able to interpret out of the womb is proximity, meaning Mm -hmm. what space is my space? Mm -hmm. Immediately, the baby's born, baby knows and understands within a certain perimeter of their body is them. And things that move in their direction, they are aware of. And so utilizing that as a, you know, function, uh, I give people an opportunity to find themselves, to find where in their bodies they might hold things. I don't really like to get into people's stories too much. So I don't ask them to elaborate. Um, If something comes up, it is okay. But I don't want anyone to get caught in the narrative because the narrative came after the narrative is what happens after the body has had the experience doesn't before. Right. And so if I can get you to feel in your body, for example, at a client, um, I do an exercise with just the subtleties of yes, no, and maybe, I don't know. And how the head moves to explore that Mm -hmm. at a client who went through this exercise and it's like, okay, let's just work on no. In the middle of that, he stops me and says, my father used to force feed me at the table when I was a kid. And I have a hard time with saying no. no. Uh... Now, I don't, you know, I think that's something that maybe you can talk about more with like your therapist or anything like that. But what I'm finding consistently is that the way people use their bodies and the way that they use their minds are one and the same. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, one step at a time, getting people moving, getting people, you know, I take them, tell them to go out on walks and explore the different things that I teach them so that they can get that feeling in motion and then respond accordingly when they're dealing with, you know, physical confrontation or cooperation collaboration yeah well you know you you're, what you're speaking to is very fascinating to me because you know there's an old uh, claude monet quote uh claude mm-hmm. monet the uh the painter mm-hmm. um it goes something to, and I'm, i'll paraphrase this i think but yeah in order to see we have to forget the name of the things that we're looking at mm-hmm. and yes what you're speaking to is yeah just being able to see with fresh eyes and uh and 
yeah, prior to you know us going recording uh, uh, live here, uh, we were talking about you know biography and background and stuff, and and you made a comment that I thought was really really telling in this regard that you prefer not having the story in the room before you start interacting with somebody, and it's mm. that labeling that begins to put people in a box, and it puts mm. my thinking about them in a box, mm. um, and we in my experience again here one one of the things that uh, seems to be just pandemically present is the inability on the part of most people to get beyond the story that they hold about somebody else. And they carry that story forward over time. And the person that they're thinking about and they're interacting with gets put in a box and they've got actually no way to escape uh, because that box is pervasive. What, what you know in the in the body is the mind yeah uh, so mm. I, I mean there are so many rabbit holes that I could go down right now <laughs> in your work with your leaders uh, mm. the, the folks that you interact with and this mm. can be from the stage it can also be one-on-one with you know the clients that you're working with mm. is there a mechanism or is there a process by which and it wouldn't be mechanistic necessarily but a process by which you actually get people to recognize the fact that story, isn't the same as the person. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die. The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. You know, I I appreciate you saying that explicitly. I like to, you know, I want to, you know, it's, it's such a harsh thing when I tell people, I'm like, I don't care about your story. Like, don't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like don't, don't do it. <laughs> like, my story's you know, who I am. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, I don't care. I don't care. Um, and that's my, I guess, direct way of saying it, but I'm implying what you are saying very explicitly you are not your story. You know, you're the you're Moshe Feldenkrais 
he um, he created something called awareness through movement um, yeah. after he had a problem. Familiar, right? So I'm very familiar with Silver Grace. Yeah, he said we have to overcome our history. He says our movement, our movement, is our history. Mm-hmm. That's when we say like actions speak louder than words. It sounds interesting, but when you think about the subtle movements that you make, that those actions, that's the story. The way that you walk into a room, that's a story already. That's why we yeah. are able to make very fast judgments of people. And we do it almost immediately. And then as soon as you open your mouth, oh, forget about it. That's a lot of data because our systems, we don't have the time, especially with new people, with new interactions. Mm-hmm. We have a very powerful recognition system that can make very quick assessments for our own safety. And so the way that we carry ourselves and getting to the point where you're like, look, I'm just going to have you move through these feelings. When you feel it in your body, you can't unfeel it. So it has nothing to do with me. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just guiding you to your own self. And then it's up to you to do what you will to get the reps in. Right. You're like, Oh, it's like learning a new jump shot. Okay, I know that I can do this from here. Now you have to go and shoot in the gym because you have many more days of not doing that jump shot than you do practicing it. So now you have to change the math. And by doing that, you change the meaning. There, and change the meaning. And and that's the foundational piece. You know, one of the assignments Mm -hmm. I used to give, and I actually still do this every now and then, um, uh, is to have the client with whom I'm working just go out into a mall someplace. Just go sit down. You know, have a cup of coffee, sit down and watch people. And then in the watching, what's the story you make up about what they're what what kind of a person they are and what they're yeah. what they're paying attention to right now. And they're going, well, yeah, because oftentimes they'll say, well, I, you know, the story I you know, I I really interact with a person. No, you're actually yeah. you know, truly likely interacting with a story before you ever get there. So let's you know, yeah. have an example of what that looks like. And mm-hmm. so they go out and that's the only thing that they do. And they come back on the report going, wow, I had no idea my mind was that busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just constructing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a great, that's, I mean, how did you come to that exercise? Like, did it, was it like a, a flash in the pen or, or were you reflect meditating? How did they, how did you come to that? That came yeah. out of you know, some work I did with a fellow by the name of Richard Strozzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Richard Strozzi you know, is, is uh, you know, the whole field of somatics, you know, somatic mm-hmm. awareness from a coaching perspective. Mm-hmm. Richard's mm-hmm. a good friend. I've known him for years and, mm-hmm. you know, in the dojo and we would practice in an Aikido dojo um, mm-hmm. and just the body, you know, the body is sending mm-hmm. a message and he suggested, you know, just go watch people and see what you can assess mm-hmm. and see what see what gets generated. I'm like, that is a magical way to work with this thing. So I started playing with it and yeah, it, it's got some pretty good, uh, <laughs> some pretty good chops there. Uh, it opens Absolutely. up some very interesting ways to be, yeah, the idea you're, you're, you're one of the ways that you uh, reference things has to do with, and this is where, you know, you got to do the reps. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that you actually positioned. Yeah. I don't, I'm not interested in your story. And that is really a disruptive comment in my experience, you know, when people hear that. And what I like about it is it disrupts the habitual patterned way of interacting. 
And it, when you can interrupt the pattern, in my experience, it mm -hmm. makes possible the introduction of something new and different. Mm -hmm. And if I can get mm -hmm. people to see the possibility of something new and different, then I've got you know some, some places for us to go. Mm -hmm. Now, where I'm going mm -hmm. with this question, and there is a question embedded here. Businesses have, and you know, managers have, leaders have, employees have patterned ways of engaging when they come into the office, when they come into the plant, mm -hmm. when they come into the building. Uh, it's habituated. And being able to interrupt the habit of doing business, habit of transacting conversation, and most conversations are about how are we doing, not or, or about what we're doing, not how are we doing. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of uh, interruption, you know, people don't like perturbation, <laughs> generally speaking. It's kind of like it's uncomfortable. Right. In your work, how do you actually invite perturbation? How do you invite people to embrace? And I'm assuming that you do because you're very successful at what you do and you're not going to be successful in this in this domain, particularly unless people are willing to engage it. So how do you get people to embrace the discomfort around that sort of perturbation? I'm not interested in your story. I'm not interested in your habitual way of interacting with your people. I'm not inter how do you how do you go about getting them to say there's 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 value in this. <laughs> I'm going to go along with you. So there's two, there's two things that I'm, yes, yes, and yes, right? So the two things, <laughs> first is I'll say, look, just talking, the reason they stopped checking um, in the 70s, they realized that talking alone raises blood pressure. So that's why when your nurse checks your blood pressure, that's the only time it's very quiet. They don't ask you any questions because they don't want you to have a false high blood pressure reading. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I let them know. I'm like, look, just you opening your mouth to say hello to your body, it's very dangerous. And what that does is that lowers the guard because everyone is so attached to how well they speak about things. It's like, no, it's frightening to all of us on a very subtle level, so much so that the nurse is not going to talk to you and even ask you about the weather. And so that sort of de-escalates even engaging. But the second thing is... I get curious about what their movement practices are and what I do in so doing. Like I had a, I had a client who, um, he was a sharpshooter. Like he grew up, his dad taught him how to be a sharpshooter. So, okay. And then the challenge that he had was over the pandemic, he was always very good at very quickly assessing where mistakes were. Bang, 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 bang. And then you hit that little button in the corner there where it says end meeting. And now you have staff members in their house mm -hmm. saddened. And what he said to me, he said, you know, at the office, it would be like bang, 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 bang. But I had a, uh, I had like a kitchen room where, I could talk and because he's one of the most brilliant, lovable people. Like, you're like, oh, people don't like, what are you talking about? But the context of where he was operating had changed. And so what happens is if you're able to give someone the frame where whatever it is that you've done so far has gotten you here and it worked. And so, and it's useful, but here's what's changed. And here's where this may be less effective. So then it just drops defenses. 
It's like, okay, you know, from the fighting arts perspective, it's like uh, like MMA fighters when when uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu got introduced to UFC. Mm-hmm. Everything that everybody knew about fighting up until that point was broken in one night, right? Hoyce Gracie just submitting all of these different fighters. And now, well, you have That's- to see a new context. And so now there's something yeah. new to learn, right? Uh, and so, you know, you can go, oh man, I lost. Sure, you could. Or if you want to continue to fight, you're going to have to learn something new. And so really there's a balance between people's willingness because you can't make everybody, right? You can only offer perspective. Say, listen, this got you here. It's got you in the ring. You're even having this. You're having this fight right now because you've had previous victories elsewhere. The rules have changed a bit. So now what are we going to do? And then we can explore. Yeah. See, that, that piece around exploration, you're inviting people to move into unknown territory and unknown territory mm-hmm. is threatening. So the, the mm-hmm. organic self tends to contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the thing... Innovation is a fascinating topic to me in organizations and, and uh, you know, where you're at right now, just physically, as, as we're talking about here, you're in an organization that prides itself on innovation. Hmm. Um, when we look at, you know, where, how people become and how organizations become innovative or, or how they create innovation in, in product or services, it's never about exploring what's already known. It's being willing to explore the unknown. That's the only mm-hmm. place that innovation can come from. And that idea of moving into the unknown, there is a physiology around it that is, yeah, can, yeah, the, the metaphor that I'll oftentimes use is, you know, getting on a roller coaster. Yeah. The seat comes down, the belt goes on, and you, you know, all of a sudden you hear it engage and you start climbing the hill. And mm-hmm. physiologically, things begin to happen. Heart starts mm-hmm. to beat. Breathing goes up a little mm-hmm. higher. Palms get a little sweaty. Eyes begin to dilate. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of this stuff. How that gets coded is important because uh, the physiology of excitement is exactly the same as physiology of fear. Mm-hmm. Rapid heart rate. Elevate, you know, aspirate, you know, breathing high, sweaty palms, dilation. The mm. coding of that, yeah, how I describe something determines my experience of it, which you know, generates my behavior. Uh, mm. The idea of moving into that unknown territory, and then and we're going to, I'm, I'm, damn it, I'm, I'm looking at the time here. We're running out of time because I can go on talking to you forever here. But the idea of moving people into an awareness of their physiology and shifting the way that they think about it Hmm. so that it becomes generative and not restrictive. How Mm -hmm. do you actually go about working with, uh, and and I know that this is a general question and it's, you know, the devil's Hmm. in the details around specificity here, but in terms of giving the folks that are listening here, some, some idea about how they can begin to manage their own physio, their own, the consequence of their own physiology so mm. that they are actually more productive, more effective, more generative uh, as they move mm-hmm. through their life. Any suggestions around that? So, you know, if I were to say, here's, here's something to do, you know, that you can do right now. Uh, look at the world above your selfie camera 
And what I mean by that is this. Proximity is controlled through the ocular system, near sight mm-hmm. and far sight. Anyone who have anyone who wears um like those glasses, you might notice that at the top, if you want to look at things far, you have to use the upper part. And if you want to look at things closer, you use the lower part. That's how the eyes work without glasses. That's how they, you know, that's just the upper field is for looking things in the distance. We spend a lot of time in the lower field because of our phones and our devices. So we've spent a lot more time really thinking about the closest parts of us, you know, our little comfort zone, things that we can grab, things that we can control, which kind of has overproduced a sense of like, well, this is safety. But if you look at all of the developments, it's always going into the new frontier, looking far beyond, way down. If you're a founder and you're telling a vision story, it's not what's seen, it's what's way in the distance. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's, a, there's a physiology to this. And so, you know, the, put your phone down and look out into the world. And it sounds very simple because it is. And it's just, we are so out of practice. People who have the opportunity to practice this for a living are performers, particularly athletes. Athletes, they have to look outside of what's directly in front of them. Even if you're playing basketball, if you look at someone like, um, like Magic Johnson back in the day with all of these, these passes, it's like, how is he controlling this ball? but has the uh, awareness outside of his direct vicinity that he can pass it without looking. Yeah. Athletes have a advantage because they get to see the world the way the world is. And that is collaborative, competitive. That's the truth. The truth Mm -hmm. is we live in a collaborative, competitive world. And if you don't experience that because everything was right in front of you and you might have like looked at numbers and looked at the paper and got your answers right, et cetera, et cetera. You miss out. And that's also what makes athletes very great motivational speakers is because they embody and their tone and their communication is reflective of seeing it and doing it and putting the reps in it. That's because they've done that. All they're doing is articulating that which made them a great athlete. So I say, Go look at the world above your selfie camera and look at it and see it. See how it feels to observe things outside of your direct vicinity and you know, work your way from there. Okay, and kind of back to Claude Monet to see we have to forget the names of the things we're looking at and look up. I don't have a name for what's out there. I just, there's just some cognition. Marshall, where can folks find out more about what you're up to? How can they oh, get connected, well, that sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's www.mindbodyspeak.com. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and then there's the LinkedIn, Marshall Davis Jones. Uh, you know, in those two places I spend, well, LinkedIn is where I like to hang out. I mean, people go to Instagram or do the other stuff, and that's cool. I find LinkedIn, like, it's where I like to be if you're going to look for me on social media. Other than that, I'm in Glendale, California. And so, you know, if you're around, we can go have some tea. Come on down. That's right. 
Folks, have been listening to Marshall Davis Jones, uh, founder of Mind Body Speak and the author of Tonal Influence. Um, this has been fascinating to me, and, and I know we have just touched the very tip of the iceberg here <laughs> in terms of what's possible in this conversation. I want to thank you, Marshall. I mean, this is. I mean, I love the conversation. Uh, I was, you know, in the, the old Jerry Maguire movie. Uh, you had me at hello. Yeah, when, <laughs> when we were talking uh, back in the, uh, the the office hours uh, segment that we did. Uh, I want to thank mm-hmm. you for joining me. And folks, check it out. You know, and www.mindbodyspeak.com. And you will not be disappointed. There is a wealth of information there. Um, this is Blaine Bartlett. You know, you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett, and you can find out more about what I'm up to at uh, BlaineBartlett.com. And go ahead and check it out. You know, there's all kinds of free resources there. As a parting gift here, my, my uh, suggestion to you is find a way to be a center of distribution in your life, not a center of accumulation. Uh, you're going to find mm-hmm. your life works a whole lot better that way. And until the next episode, take care. Have a great rest of your week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.